Peter Sorling. He is a manager of development and a fairly serious open source committer, specifically in the cloud native security space. And James is going to talk a lot about himself and a lot about his progress. But James is going to start out by telling us about his favorite superhero. James, it's all you. So uh, I have a much larger background. So I like both Electra and the Daddy Devil. They're not the superheroes per se, but they're still part of the Marvel universe. So I think they classify. <laughs> right, right. So uh, Daredevil, he's he's blind, right? Yet yeah. he has all these this extra sensory perception is around with not ESP. I don't know what it is, but he's yeah. able to sense things and not only block things but uh, but attack. It, to me, it seems like there's maybe an there's maybe an analogy for security. And of course, Electra, she's good at those, I don't know what those Kung Fu knives are that she uses, uh, Ginsu knives to, to slice and throw, but I, maybe there's a security analogy in there somewhere. Is that is that what you think? Or You don't want to be like uh, rubber hose, uh, crypto, just beat up a nerd to get the password, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, very cool, very cool. Um, well, with that, I thought we would start out with, you know, just talking a little bit about you and uh, your your background. So I like to start with people knowing a little bit about your career, what, kind of where yep. you started and how you got to where you are now as a uh, security architect. So oh, please. So my, my background is really like Spectrum, Atari, and I also had like a bulletin board system in the early 90s connected to FeedNet. FeedNet was sort of a precursor to news groups and the email, I would say. Uh, and also back then, it wasn't, wasn't called the open source. It was more freeware and shareware and also public domain source code. So, and then, uh, yeah. So, so then I was like 10, 12 when I started this. And uh, then I started the compute, computing science uh, moved to London, started working there for seven years. So I worked for like a mobile game company, worked for another company with uh, yes, a different type of startups, basically. Uh, one start with, with a lot of people from uh, Sequent and Tivoli, IBM people. So even uh, around 2000, even the CTO was running uh, Linux, for example. So it was a different climate in London compared to Sweden, where everybody was just running uh, Windows. Right, that's where you are now. You're in Sweden now. Yeah, Sweden now. Okay, so let me get this straight. So you got your you got your start as you know really a, a hacker as a young person early on. Uh, yeah. I heard I heard Atari. Of course, that was the. I, I remember when I got my Atari for Christmas. Um, it was was awesome. <laughs> this is a long, you know, yeah. long time ago. Um, but. Uh, then you progressed into you studied computer science. I think you got your master's, as I recall. Uh, yeah. And you uh, were you know, doing a lot of consulting too, as well, working with startups. I saw a lot of about a consulting. Um, so tell me, how did you go from being really a, you know a hardcore developer, working on what we call early open source, to now being a security architect? Maybe you can tell me about how you how you made that transition, why, and and, yeah. and all that. So I think for many developers, the transition just from developer to architect is quite hard. But I work with some experienced people from investment banking, uh, doing a, a few startups attempts. 
I think once you sort of have to build things from scratch, uh, you sort of get to the next level. But I got into security later. I started with uh, working with Amazon Web Service around uh, 2008, so that quite early. And then uh, 2010, I started as first uh, employee at the cloud security startup. So two guys that actually sold the the first security startup to Gemalto. Oh, okay. So that that's why I sort of got more into security, starting building their security platform, and deploying it securely to ABS. Ah, all right. So uh, and, continue. Yeah, so, and I also had opportunity to to work with. Uh, we hired some more people with the sort of network and the firewall experience and it's a small company so i got more into that as well basically and also more operations and the uh, it and uh, like monitoring and the surveillance of security okay so <clears throat> i can i can already hear what's leading to cfn nag but maybe you can tell me about how you ended up being a committer to that and then obviously how you ended up then doing the module, the open source module that you wrote for SonarCube. Yeah. So I work at Wireless Car and we, we work with connected cars for most of the major car manufacturers like uh, Volvo. Now it's partly owned by Volkswagen, but we also have Nissan, Land Rover, ELR. But I would say it's really Volkswagen, they started, they used to have their own security standard, uh, but then they sort of migrated to use uh, NIST 853. And we had, I would say the problem was that we, using uh, AVS config rules, we detect a lot of compliance already deployed into the account, and it's a bit too late. So we initially started using TFNAG to try to detect things before it was deployed. But then you had the problem, how, how do you handle false positives uh, and things that you don't really want to fix? And back then, the only option was to do add meta info to your CloudFormation stacks. So that was really, wasn't really easy to handle. So that's why I wrote the SonarCube CloudFormation plugin just to sort of uh, get the issues into SonarCube to increase the visibility and also have uh, an audit record of if somebody set something to false positive or won't fix, for example, you, you could see who was logged in and actually changed it. So this is really, <clears throat> when, when people talk about shift left, you know, security world is fond of creating words sometimes that don't mean anything but i'd say yeah. in this case it actually does mean something so in short you you had a, comp a compliance issue amongst other things working for wireless car you're yeah. supporting serious companies that are doing serious global business at scale and you had in this case sound like nist 853 controls and yeah. it was difficult to produce secure and compliant clouds once things are deployed it was too late too difficult, so you started investing in CFN NAG, yet still that was very difficult because while you were get, starting to shift left a little bit with that, 
Um, yep. The problem was is that you were having false positives. So you went ahead and you already committed to CFN NAG. You decided to create a module using SonarCube, which your developers are using. So again, we're getting a very shift left here where yep. you're talking about where the developers are you know, writing code. They're on their laptops or doing, you know, they're, they're the developers, DevOps, whatever, they're making, you know, cloud infrastructure, they're defining cloud infrastructure, and you've basically moved all of that over onto them right where they're working, right in real time, so yeah. that they can catch the mistakes and even address what might be a false positive right there in development in real time. So I'd consider that what I'm hearing is you actually orchestrated a complete shift left. And my question for you then is in terms of the developers at Wireless Car, how, how well has this been received? So we we already introduced the SonarCube before we started using CFN NAG. So they were quite used to that uh, pattern. But, and I think one of the other things that, for example, if you find like an unencrypted S3 in our AVS account, uh, maybe everything should be have tagged with the team and the owner, but a lot of cases tag was missing so then you sort of have to say that I know somebody deployed it, but I can't find which stack. Right. So which uh, like GitHub repo does this uh, S3 buckets been connected to? So that's why to detect it while the CICD pipeline builds that stack, it's a lot easier to find the, the correct resource as well. Right, right. So being able to <clears throat> basically say, because Again, in security right now, what's really popular is um, cloud security posture management. That's scanning in runtime. But there's no awareness typically of the tags, of the you know the resources, yeah. ownership. It's just a complete black box. And what I'm hearing is you're you are able to then to resolve that again by being able to do, take care of the tagging in development um, in you know with I don't know if you guys use Jenkins or, or what you're using, but being able to bring all that context together in one place you're again able to really shift, continue to shift security left and get in front of things. And I think that's, I think yeah. that's awesome. And I think it's honestly still a huge unsolved problem uh, in, the, in the security market. So with that, I'm gonna ask a next question here is, so- uh, I, okay. I just have one more thing uh, as well that also connected to the security standard that once we have these uh, rules in SonarCube, for example, uh, I also added the NIST 853 grouping to the different uh, rule set. So SC8 for like encryption in transit, for example, just to be able to give the developers uh, a connection to a security control that we have to implement. How was that? Re how was that received? Are they are they getting it? Is it making sense? So I didn't have it initially, and also when it comes to sort of audit perspective to be able to to show auditors that yeah we do have these controls in place and we could group them by these controls and we could look at how many issues and in what progress we have issues so it also helps the to provide some proof ah oh so for audit yeah <clears throat> this is yeah this is critically important and for those listeners out there who maybe haven't worked in a large, you know, conglomerate or supported one like uh, like Peter's doing, James Peter's doing. Um, that is key because audit can be really disruptive to development, to DevOps, to SRE. Um, 
audit will come, audit will come in and they'll spin a wheel sometimes and say, prove to me you're doing X, Y, and Z. And when it comes to things like development, again, going back to the idea of traceability between the control, the actual runtime instantiated cloud resources, all the way to the development process, being yeah. able to tie that together with a specific control, very difficult. And it sounds like what I'm hearing is you've solved that. You've made it easier to go through audit and make audit much, uh, much more uh, painless is what I'm hearing. Is that, is that about right? Yeah, for a subset of controls that are more tied directly to one type of ABS resource, for example. Right, so, uh, yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, security, as I've said, is historically really struggled with getting security capabilities integrated into development. I mean, it's really, I believe it's really struggling now with the advent of cloud native, right? I was just reading actually about um, Spotify. Um, so I was, a I was a CISO at Twilio. And so years ago we were doing what, 20, 30,000 releases a year. Yes. Spotify does 20,000 deployments a day, right? And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna brag. I'm not gonna brag about what happened at Twilio five years ago. That, I mean, it's just, it's just <laughs> It's just, it's so irrelevant compared to the new speed. So, uh, you know, as a developer turned security architect, what are, what are you seeing that works? I mean, it sounds like what you're doing is working. Um, what, what, what are, what's working? And what are you seeing as some of the gaps that need to be um, addressed that are real challenging, particularly as it relates to, again, high velocity, you know, continuous integration, continuous deployment, cloud native, et cetera. Yeah. I would say, so I'm, I'm a security architect for about 15 teams, uh, but I don't have any of my own uh, developers or resources. So yeah, I would say it's still just basic hygiene stuff to get the developers to, to make your maintenance a priority. But this, they, yeah, I get them, they're always, they're trying to deliver business value. The customers are pushing for uh, deadlines. So I think it's, I would say that a subset of the teams are doing a great job. And then it's always a few teams that are sort of slightly behind, but I would say managing buying from the, I think it changed a lot now since uh, Borgfine took over the company because they seem to really value uh, security. But I, I think you can't really do it bottom up. It has to come from the top. I think that's the big challenge to get uh, management to see that they have to be sort of engaged and involved in security. Right, right. Well, that makes sense. But I, I guess where I'm hearing from you as well, though, while you're one, you're, you're one, you're a powerhouse, but you're one guy. You're yeah. design, you're designing and deploying tools. You're making things that make the li lives of developers easier. In a meaningful way, so I think it's both. I think you're in a, again as a as a CISO coming from cloud native environment. I, I mean, I, I can't agree with you more. It takes takes the top down, but the types of things that you've done in terms of contributing to open source, um, and then and creating open source solutions that work with some of the commercial solutions you guys are using. I mean, I think that's uh, that's gold. So so we've already talked about this a little bit. You work in the you know you work in you know over there across the pond, right? You're in the yep. EU. Um, and you've consulted from for conglomerates. You mentioned you know you're working for Wireless Car that supports has some support for VW, um, Volvo, what have you. Um, so, how acceptable and or desirable 
is open source security solutions within these larger enterprises. When you look at not just you know VW and not just yeah. Volvo, but in the EU in general, how acceptable is open source? Is it highly desired? Is it frowned upon? Maybe you can tell me that about that. I would say everything we build is built on open source. So uh, all third party libraries are open source. We use a lot of uh, like Elasticsearch, Kibana, and Nginx. I would say if you look back 15 years, people had to buy a lot of this stuff like middleware. Now, now I would say all of the middleware is for commodity open source. And even very rarely we pay for support. Uh, but wireless hardware I work is about uh, 500 people in the US, uh, China and uh, Sweden. So it's very different from uh, the Volkswagen group. Even if you're part of Volkswagen group, there are about 500,000. Right. <laughs> yeah, so the company, the reason I bring it up is here in the, in the United States, if you were to go to a, a large, I mean, so I, I was a, I worked for a, a Fortune 10. I worked for yeah. GE as a, I ran security for their healthcare division, which is a very large healthcare organization globally. Um, the while there are pockets of people using open source for the CISO to say, yeah, we're going to have an open source strategy and we're going to deploy open source for all of our security stuff, for all this healthcare stuff. I mean, you know, listen, wireless car sounds pretty important, right? In terms of its role in, in safety and whatnot. Same yeah. obviously with healthcare. There's a lot of reticence about, there has been a lot of reticence about open source. The knee jerk reaction, particularly in security as yeah. a buyer, would be, oh, I'm going to go to the, I'll go to the Palo Alto networks, right? Or I'll go to the FireEye, or I'll go to name, you know, pick your large name. Um, now yeah. that the, the engineers, the security engineers, totally, totally bought in on open source, no question. And, and people like myself, obviously, but the buying habit and the perception still, still is very, very tightly coupled with enterprise. What I'm hearing you say is that it's, it's, it's a bit different in the EU. Is that is that right? No, I think when it comes to like firewalls or hardware, there are still uh, the commercial solutions that we use as well. But just when it comes to building uh, application or setting up the servers, I think majority of stuff is open source. Uh, but I mean, I think the, it, it changed a lot as well. The the, the the last few years, I think, as well. So now, from a developer perspective, you're allowed to choose like Linux, Ubuntu, macOS, or Windows machine. Right. But you could basically use whatever you want. But we, uh, but it's still managed uh, laptops. Uh. Right. Right. That makes sense. So this is my last uh, question, and this is very much uh, more of a technical question as it relates to cloud native development in particular. So you already talked about, you know, the organizational challenges, right? The, the yeah. need to bring the top down. Obviously, you're an example of the bottoms up as well, enabling that. But when it comes to cloud native specifically, from a technical perspective right now, what do you see as the, the kind of the largest risk? and biggest challenge in cloud native development. So from a security perspective, what are the things that you're seeing going on where you're going, oh my gosh, this has to be fixed. It's not being fixed, 
but it has to be fixed. What, what are some of the big risks you're seeing out there? And then I'd add to that, what are you seeing as some of the you know, promising open source solutions that might help with some of those issues? So I think uh, multi-cloud is a big issue. Uh, so for example, even if you are quite proficient in uh, AWS, if you have a Chinese customer, you might have to do Alibaba. Right. Some people want to use uh, already had partnership with uh, Microsoft or Azure. And some people already had partnership with Google. So I think the range of technologies that any like mid-sized or large company has to manage today is just increasing. And it's when I started with ADS 2008, it was uh, basic infrastructure as a service, S3. And today I can't even mention it's like 300 different services. So I think it's just the explosion of both the services and the cloud providers. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would, I mean, I would agree with that. If you have a, you know, it's, it's not, if you have a multi-cloud strategy, I have yet to talk to a security organization that's not dealing there. I have not met a homogeneous. We are only this only It's always, Oh yeah, we're 80% AWS and 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 right and that's yeah. and particularly as the companies get larger and larger as they get involved with acquisitions as they get involved with more third parties it expands and the idea that you're going to have uh, people with the skill sets that yeah. can cut across all of that that's mythology that's not going to happen um and increasingly finding uh, solutions that can cut across all those becomes very difficult so what are some of the interesting open source security solutions or Maybe if not security developer solutions, that's fine because I know you're a developer at heart. But what are you seeing that looks promising on you know on the horizon from an open source perspective, or that's caught your yeah. interest? So I started to work as if in Nag because we used to have a lot of cloud formation, and it already had the most rules. But I think now when the bridge crew got bought up by Palo Alto, and they really made a massive investment in Checo, it's also like. A, infrastructure code the security assessment tool yes it, it already supports uh, terraform cloud formation uh, azure rm and also uh, i think even some google yes so i i think it's good with tools that sort of expand so you can use one tool for many cloud providers yeah. i i agree with that uh i we and I'm not here to shamelessly plug my company, but we integrate in Checkoff amongst many others. I mean, yeah. we, have a, we have a variety of solutions, but uh, Checkoff is is a really great solution. And uh, you know, getting if you can get things like Checkoff or TFSec or CFN NAG, getting those deployed across your organization, oftentimes that ends up being the challenge. How do you get that out there easily? How do you get buy-in? How do you get usage? How do you monitor it? That's the next level problem. But as a as a scanning solution i think checkoff is great probably the top i think it's the top of the heap right now for sure so i i agree with you um i'll share with you one of the things that uh i'm interested in just barely learning about is like uh SendGrep. i think SendGrep is uh interesting as well um yeah. i i think opa still remains kind of interesting i think the the jury is still out a bit in terms of it being the dominant, I mean, it is the dominant policy as code. The problem yeah. is it's so, people are finding it so hard and so foreign, you know, so Checkoff has its own policy of code. It's kind of a Python yeah. wrapper. They might be changing that a little bit. I think they're moving to more of a YAML definition um, in the most recent release, 
Um, but again, you, when you look across the, the different layers who are dealing with cloud native policies code, you're seeing some people who've said, okay, it's going to be OPA. Some people are doing their own custom things like, like Chekhov. Um, but I think those are, you know, those are some of the things that are, I find uh, interesting. Well, but, uh, but I just have one point. What I really see more in the future or more like Bridge Crew did uh, as well. So not just pointing out the uh, your problems, but also creating like pull requests with fixes. And you also have like this new dependabot, uh, renovate bot that they're doing, it just help you to maintain products by creating uh, fixes with the pull request. Yeah. I think also Yespar is also another in this area, but that sort of resolves uh, known issues in your Java code. Right, right. Um... So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think what you're, this is a new term, I think, for security folks, not for you, but for security folks is, you know, you're just really referring to kind of GitOps oriented solutions where they're able to integrate seamlessly with your repositories. And so yeah. they're not only scanning the repositories, but on pull requests or other sorts of changes, they're going through their, they do their thing, like, like whatever you're working on right there, the developers yeah. working on it in that sprint, they're, they're coding away. And it's able to, and in the case of if it's integrated with SonarCube, <laughs> able to do it right then, you know, right there and do the, the PR update. And in some cases, depending on the nature of the rule set, this is where maybe an OPA comes in. It's able yeah. to, you're able to say, hey, um, either we'll make a change and or if there, if it's before it gets promoted, right, in, in integrated in domain, we'll see it, we'll, yeah. block, we'll block that, right? And I do think this is the, the next level sort of thing for the enterprise. Yeah, and then you also have the, like security hub and uh, outer remediations. I, I know Electric Eye is one of my sort projects is quite promising as well, but uh, I think then you have the problem that it's good to have outer remediation in your operations environment, but how do you then manage your configuration management and change control? Right. right. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, because <laughs> then at the end, you don't really know what's deployed and what's in your repos. <laughs> Right, right. No, it's very, it's very complex, but it's very promising. I, I, I've, I was looking for, uh, you know, there's DevSecOps, and I, I seriously, I just Googled for uh, uh, not just GitOps, but GitSecOps, just for a joke. And I actually saw that Sneak actually used that term, you know, what, two or three years ago. And the reality is, I think that is kind of the, whatever we call it, you know, you can apply a label, but the, the kind of dependabot oriented uh, integration of security that is able to not only help developers make changes in real time to reduce to reduce the amount of stuff that gets into production. It's also you know less expensive, right? But also you know dynamic PR requests, dynamic changes. There's some constraints. You can't just go randomly willy nilly changing code, right? But yeah. you know constraints within uh, you know within changes within constraints, and then of course the policy is code as well that wraps around all of that. They can even then stop things before they promote. I do think this is all. Uh, really fruit, uh, fruitful for the future. And obviously this is where we're, we're obviously invested, it's soluble as well. Well, uh, go ahead, I'm sorry, you had a comment? Yeah, I think when talk DevSecOps, it's really nice to see Department of Defense now. They just released the DevSecOps reference manual to version two. Yes. So yes. Uh, I really liked the first one because uh, it had a lot of good information that you could sort of take to the management that it's, it's not only we that trying to shift left, it's more like the general trend of the globally. Yeah, that's out of the uh, Air Force specifically. Um, and, you know, I'll just share with you when I was at uh, 
I was at a global conglomerate um, delivering uh, lots of healthcare materials to the uh, military globally. And the uh, biggest uh, adherent to NIST 853, all the way into the DISA STIGs, where they were going, like, we're talking thousand plus controls point by point, was the Air Force. Air Force is very, very serious uh, about security. And I had the opportunity to actually present to the, the CISOs of the Air Force, Marines, Navy, and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it's there. Uh, obviously, needless to say, the DOD is very serious about security. And there's some good thought leadership coming out of there. So I agree with you. Um, with that, we've gone long because you're such an interesting guy. You're, you know, I love seeing a leader who's right in the middle, who's committing to open source technology, who's actually integrating it with global, global conglomerates. You're kind of one of a kind, uh, James, so I appreciate that. And for those of you who don't know, there was a little person in the background having a lot of fun with Minecraft. I love hearing that, <laughs> that was awesome. So, hey, uh, appreciate your time and we'll look forward to uh, talking to you uh, in the near future. Future. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Richard. It was nice to have a chat. Likewise. So